Microsoft has been in the United Kingdom for 40 years. But this decision, I have to say, is probably the darkest day in our four decades in Britain. It does more to shake our confidence in the future of the opportunity to grow a technology business in Britain than we've ever confronted before. And that was the voice of Microsoft President Brad Smith speaking to the BBC. His anger was palpable, as you just heard, following the decision by the UK's Competition and Markets Authority to veto Microsoft's 69 billion US dollar acquisition of gaming company Activision Blizzard. Welcome to MLEX's weekly podcast, James Panicki with you. And the red light from the CMA is significant news because it has also exposed the fissures between the EU and the UK's regulatory environments. And Microsoft isn't holding back about its frustration. The clear message to the UK government is that the country's antitrust regulator is undermining the post-Brexit promise of Singapore on the Thames. Of course, there's still more to play out. The deal has been reviewed in jurisdictions around the world, including the European Union. Yet this clearly is an important setback for Microsoft. To discuss the case, I've assembled as many MLEX M&A reporters as I could get together at the same time. Andrew Boyce is our EU mergers reporter. Nicholas Hurst is our chief correspondent covering mergers in the EU. And Flavia Fortes is our global head of mergers. They're joining me from Brussels, London and Rome, respectively. It's great to have your company. Uh, Andrew in Brussels, starting from you. Uh, maybe tell us something about what prompted the CMA to reach a decision that is proving clearly proving to be so contentious. Yeah, so last week it blocked the deal, saying it threatened to alter the future of the cloud gaming market, harming innovation and choice. The CMA said Microsoft already had a strong position in that market, and following the deal, it had the incentive to make popular Activision games like Call of Duty exclusive to its own cloud gaming platform. That was controversial because Microsoft had actually already signed agreements with several other cloud gaming platforms to make Call of Duty available on their platforms for 10 years. But their CMA said it would rather let the market grow organically and didn't want to accept a behavioural remedy that would require monitoring or could become ineffective in the future. And Andrew, was Sony, which is obviously the manufacturer of the rival PlayStation, was that company behind the veto or, or not? No, well it definitely helped push the deal um, into an in-depth investigation. You know, ever since the deal was announced, it has been the major complainant. It's been worried that Microsoft would make Call of Duty exclusive to Xbox, and uh, it said that would be detrimental to its own rival console, which is the PlayStation. When the CMA opened its face to investigation, it said it was also worried about the console market, but in a major U-turn, it actually dropped that concern. That is what made the veto particularly surprising, because CMA blocked the deal purely on a concern about the cloud gaming market. And tell me something about how the companies themselves, Microsoft and Activision, uh, reacted to this veto from the CMA. Well, I think they're quite quite surprised and they clearly weren't happy. They immediately said they'd appeal the decision and that the CMA did not understand the market. You know, they said the deal discouraged innovation and investment in the UK and that the EU, uh, which the UK left, had a more predictable and, and better approach. Actually, in a bombshell interview the next day, um, Brad Smith, the president of Microsoft, said uh, Rishi Sunak, the prime minister of the UK, should intervene and look hard at the role of the CMA. And then he also said that companies were better off going to the EU than to the UK. Ah, that would have uh, that would have hurt the pride of uh, of Rishi Sunak and the UK government, no doubt. Well, Nicholas, let me bring you into the conversation at this point. Did the CMA veto uh, come? 
as a surprise or was it expected? Yes, I, I think it really did come as a surprise, both to markets and to the companies. So in the days running up to the announcements, there were rumours that the CMA was actually going to approve the deal. And uh, you could even find some reference to this in the financial, the August Financial Times in one of its uh, newsletters. <laughs> and so there was general shock when the CMA said it was in fact going to block the deal. And that translated into Activision share price collapsing by 10% as investors suddenly started to worry that they wouldn't get the money that Microsoft had, had promised. Um, I think it also actually came as a shock to the companies as well. Now, from what we understand, Microsoft was only informed at the very, very end of the process about what the outcome was. And I think the way it happened highlights a particularity of the way the CMA works, which is the CMA, more than any other regulators I know, is very much, the process is very formal. It's very much behind closed doors. There's an independent panel that carries out you know, a second phase investigation into a deal. And it's quite difficult for companies to read what's what's happening. And um, I think in that bombshell interview that Brad Smith gave, gave Another line of complaint was that there was no dialogue with the CMA, or at least at the end, there was no dialogue as compared with the commission where he, yeah, he stuck the knife in. It was very easy to have a reasonable conversation with the European Commission. All right. So Microsoft is now suddenly a fan of the European Commission. That's, that's great. But is that love reciprocated by the commission? I mean, what's the EU regulator's view of the deal? I think the love is reciprocated. I mean, nothing's certain. But the signs that we've been picking up uh, and what we've reported is that the commission is satisfied with the remedy offer that Microsoft made to address some concerns. Funnily enough, exactly the same remedy offer that the UK Competition Authority rejected. The commission's due to announce its decision by the 22nd of May, so that's in about three weeks' time. But of course, if the CMA has rejected the merger based on the remedy, the same remedy that the Commission accepts, that raises once again the ugly spectre of divergence between the European Union and the United Kingdom. Now, we didn't used to be there to see that when the UK was part of the European Union, but we're seeing it propping up again and again in recent times as both of the competition authorities look at the same deals. Now, most notably, there was a big debate last year when the European Commission approved the merger between Cargotech and Cone Cranes. The UK competition authority blocked the same merger, deeming the remedy that was offered as plainly insufficient. And this sparked a whole... Um, months of hand-wringing and conference debates uh, about you know, why. How can it be that you have two sensible competition authorities looking at the same facts, essentially the same markets, the same companies, and reaching different mm. conclusions? Well, that's, that's, you know, welcome to Brexit, I suppose. But uh, look, Flavia, let me ask you now for a US perspective on all of this. What does the Federal Trade Commission make of the deal? Yeah, so the FTC also challenged the transaction, but in the US, the, the agencies cannot block outright transactions like in, in the UC and in, in the UK. So they either need to seek a preliminary injunction in federal court to stop the deal, 
uh, or the judge re reviewing the, the deal on the merits, or in the case of the FTC, it can file an administrative complaint in its in-house court uh, so the administrative law judge can, can rule on the merits of the challenge. But in this case, the FTC didn't seek a preliminary injunction because it was pending in, in the other jurisdiction, so there wasn't a risk that the parties were going to close. There's only the, the administrative trial pending right now. So if the UK were to approve the transaction, and, and then also, of course, the, the European Commission and, and the other jurisdictions that are pending, such as New Zealand and Australia, then the FTC would need to go to federal court and ask for the judge to prevent the parties from closing. Usually the, the, that decision is the one that matters in, in the U.S., like a, a preliminary injunction decision. It, it's a standard that the agency will just drop the administrative complaint if, if that happens. But in this case, we don't have it that yet because there's no approvals elsewhere. There's no risk of, of the parties disclosing. Uh, we saw uh, a, a, in a similar case in the meta within, um, we saw that happening where when the, the California district judge denied the, the preliminary injunction, the FTC decided not to appeal. So, so that, would the end, that was the end for, for that transaction. Uh, and it's much better in the U.S. to go before federal judges because they're, not, um, they're much more likely to not accept new theories of harm, such as potential competition, like in this case, or the agency's attempt to, to block a vertical transaction. So, so they have a better chance to, to win the case. But, uh, but here there's no federal procedure, this administrative one, and, and that one is set to start in, in August 2nd. And, and even so with that case, uh, we can, it's still not the final say. It, it's, there's still the potential that if the judge agrees with the commission, um, the parties can still appeal to the full commission. And then if the full commission agrees with the judge, then it can still go to federal court and all the way to the Supreme Court if necessary. So, so that's how the process goes in the U.S. and it's very long and complicated. There's also another tool that Microsoft could use because there was a recent decision in the U.S. in the Exxon case before the Supreme Court where the justice determined that parties are allowed to make challenges of, of the administrative process by the FTC uh, before the start of the trial. So uh, Microsoft had included uh, constitutional allegations in its response to the FTC's complaint after the deal was filed, but, uh, but it later decided to drop it. But it can, if it wants to now, raise uh, its constitutional challenges again. Uh, it was basically saying that the, the administrative procedure violates separation of powers, uh, uh, you know, violates the Constitution Equal Protection Clause and Due Process Clause. So, so it, it wants the right to to argue its case before a, a neutral arbiter. But, uh, but, uh, but of course, the problem with these types of claims is it just takes months, if not years, to resolve, and, and usually emerging parties can't wait that long. Okay, Flavia, so there are clearly a lot of moving parts in the process. What's the next step? What do we really need to look out for here? Yeah, so, so the best option for Microsoft is to try to reverse the CMA's decision at, at the UK's competition tribunal to try to put pressure on the FTC to then accept remedies. Um, and this, of course, assuming that the, the European Commission will accept remedies. So it, it already said that it will appeal and, and it has four weeks to, to file that, that, that appeal um, uh, after the publication of the CMA's decision. But, uh, but it's not going to be an easy case because even if the tribunal agrees with Microsoft that there were errors in the decision from the CMA or, or if it wasn't proportioned, the tribunal doesn't review the merits of the case. It only looks at the procedural mistakes. Um, so the case would still be sent back to the CMA for reconsideration. And it's unlikely right, that the CMA would change its mind. 
but once it goes back to the CMA, the parties could offer more remedies to try to address other concerns. So, so that could be a way to get the deal through. The, uh, there has never been a case where the competition tribunal ruled on the CMA error and sent the case back to the CMA for recon- reconsideration that was cleared. But the CMA did reconsider a decision block um, in a deal. It, it involved the financial software company FNZ merger with GBST. Uh, in that case, even though there was an appeal to the tribunal after a block decision, the CMA subsequently asked to reconsider its, its decision uh, before the tribunal could weigh in. So the, the CMA found certain potential errors in its market share calculation um, d- during the course of its investigation. So, so it ultimately cleared the merger with remedies. But, but that was a very specific case, and the tribunal didn't get to, to rule on that one. So in any case, in, in, in if the appeal happens uh, to the competition tribunal, it will still add months to the process. Uh, it could be decided only by the end of the year. Uh, we, we saw that the Meta Giphy case took eight months from, from the block. Uh, and if it does win a reassessment of the merger, the, the final decision could even be pushed to 2024. Well, what an incredible story this has been. I can't wait to see how it all unfolds. But Flavia, Nicholas and Andrew, thank you so much for speaking to me today. I really appreciate it. Thank you, James. Thank you. Thank you very much, James. It's been a pleasure. Flavia Fortes, Nicholas Hurst and Andrew Boyce cover mergers for MLEX. And their recent analysis of the Microsoft Activision Blizzard deal and the fallout from that CMA decision is online and ready for you to read. You'll find it at the usual place, mlexmarketinsight.com. That's M-L-E-X marketinsight.com. You'll see a tab called News Hub. That's where you'll need to be for the very best of MLEX's reporting and analysis. There's also an archive of this very humble podcast, which can be a fun way to get a sense of what we cover and who we have covering it. Our homepage also features a banner with a link to our latest special report. This one is on artificial intelligence and the regulation thereof. It's a great read. It's free for you to download if you haven't done so already. So I certainly recommend that you take a look. I'm afraid that's where we'll have to leave things for today. The MLEX podcast is produced and presented by me, James Paniki. It's published by the MLEX Marketing Squad in London. Our executive producer is Richard Thompson. Thank you for listening and goodbye from everyone here at MLEX and LexisNexis. See you soon. Mm-hmm.